As you're being seated, if you'll go ahead and find your Bible and open it up, turn it on. We'll be in Luke chapter 8 today, Luke chapter 8 and verses 40 through 56. In your life right now, where is God really working on you? Where is He growing you and stretching you? I'll tell you, in my own life, the answer to that question has been the same for about 10 years. God has been working on me in the area of faith. I'm an individual that likes to strategize. I like to try to evaluate all possible outcomes. And God has just been kind of hammering into me, you have to trust me for the outcomes. And and I, I dare to say I'm not alone in this, that a lot of us struggle with that balance between our self-reliance and God-reliance and learning to give up control and trust God more and be men and women of faith. Well, we are at the final leg of the series that we've been calling Listen Up as we've journeyed through Luke chapter 8. Throughout Luke chapter 8, we have seen faith play a major role. We began with the parable of the sower where Jesus talked about our faith in Him and how when the gospel comes near and we respond in faith, that spiritual growth takes place within us. And then we saw how our faith is not supposed to be contained to ourselves, that our faith is supposed to shine like a light into the darkness. You remember the passage, uh, do not hide it under the bushel, do not hide it under the bed, but instead put the light on the lampstand so that all might see. And we live in a world of darkness, a world where there is a tremendous amount of evil and injustice, and Christian people are to shine our faith into that darkness. Then we saw Jesus calm the Doppler red storm. And after calming the storm, he preached a four-word sermon to his disciples. That sermon was, where is your faith? And then last week, we saw a man whose life was totally out of control. He was completely in the grip of evil. And then he met Jesus, and he became a person of faith, and his life was completely transformed, and he became the witness to Christ within the region where he lives. I often hear this question, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? I believe that first and foremost, God wants you to be a person of faith. He wants you to trust Him. In Christianity, trust is a must. All the other disciplines of Christianity, going to church, being a person of worship, being part of a church community, finding service and ministry where your life overflows itself and engages with other people's lives, all of that flows out of faith. We place our faith in Christ, and then He does a work in us and through us that is beyond us. Your faith in Christ leads you to live a life for Christ. The Christian life is not a class that you can enroll in. There's no class that we can offer where if you take this class, whenever you come out the other side, you'll be a mature Christian. We can teach you theology, we can teach you scripture, but mature Christianity is not just about how much you know. The Christian life has to be lived. Now understand this, a life lived in faith can be sloppy because a life lived in faith 
has to intersect with people and real life stories. So it will take you beyond cliches and catchy titles. A life lived in faith will take you beyond books and blogs. A life lived in faith forces you to deal with difficult people, to live in koinonia with other Christians, to engage with people that don't even see the world or Christ the same way that you do, and it forces you to trust even though you can't see and find hope. Find hope and joy in the eternal colors of life that often go unseen. You see, until you learn to rejoice in a hope that transcends the hundred-year window of your life, it's really difficult to be a man or a woman who truly lives with the totality of yourself anchored in Christ. Well, in Luke chapter 8 and verses 43-46, we encounter two people, a man and a woman, who are finding themselves in a situation where their faith encounters real life. The story picks up there in verse 40. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house. So here we are introduced to a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus was a powerful man. He was a competent individual. He was a confident man. His name means enlightener. He was probably an individual that taught theology, that understood the scriptures greatly. The Bible says that he was a ruler or a leader within the synagogue. It appears that Jairus played the role of an administrator, somewhat like an administrative pastor or an executive pastor would in a church today. So Jairus was the guy down at the synagogue that oversaw the parking lot project. Uh, Jairus was the guy that met with the long-range planning committee. Jairus was the guy that tried to make sure everything ran efficiently. He would try to get all those artsy relational ministers to actually get something done. He was an administrator. He solved problems. No problem was too big for him. Whenever you brought a problem to him, Jairus could solve it. But now Jairus had a problem that he couldn't do anything about. And so he comes to Jesus and he bows before him, needing him, totally trusting in him. You say, why? Well, look at verse 42. Because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was at death's door. Now, as a parent, I cannot imagine the pain that Jairus must have been feeling. His little girl, 12 years old, was having life leave her body. And he was watching this unfold, his beautiful little girl. And so Jairus is overcome with emotion. He is driven to go beyond himself, to reach out to Jesus. And he bows before Jesus trusting him. You see, there are moments in life where you can't fake it. There are moments in life where platitudes and coffee mug sayings don't take you where you need to go. 
There are moments in life where all you can do is bring raw faith before Jesus, bow before Him, and trust in God's power to see you through. And that's where Jairus was. He was trusting in Christ. Well, Jesus agrees to go with him to his house. And so the story continues. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. So you can imagine the scene. It's a very busy scene. And in the midst of that crowd, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors, yet could not be healed by any. And let me pause there. You need to understand that in every crowd, there are life stories. Beyond the smiles, beyond the small talk and conversation about the weather, there's life stories. Behind all those Facebook pictures that appear to be perfect, there's real pain. Standing in the grocery store line next to you. Sitting in the carpool line next to you. As you walk the dog around the neighborhood and you go past those houses, behind every door are stories. And there are a lot of people in our world today that are going through untold amount of distress and hardship. And there is a story. There is a heart with a hole in it that only God can fill. And that's where this woman was. For 12 years, she had been living her life in a misery. She had a feminine bleeding, and she was unable to find any solutions for it. She had spent all the money that she had on her sickness and was now broke. She probably was cast to the fringes of the society because of her health problem. She likely would have been unable to engage in the spiritual life of the community, unable to go to Jairus' synagogue, She may have been unable to have children of her own, and within that culture, there was a large stigma associated with this. So here is Jairus, who has a life where it is filled with the joy of worshiping. He has this beautiful child, and this woman is living her life in quiet desperation, gathering for worship unavailable to her, children likely beyond her arms. But like Jairus, she chooses to place her faith in Jesus. And so, verse 44, she approached from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Jewish teachers would wear these little blue tassels on the bottom of their robes. And so, in the midst of the crowd, this woman approaches Jesus from behind and touches the tassel of his robe And instantly, the bleeding stopped. Now think about all the obstacles this woman had to overcome. Twelve years of discouragement. Ah, it's no use. Twelve years of disappointment. She is considered within society a person that is not important. Why would Jesus care about me? She was in the middle of a large crowd. Jesus was busy. He was headed to Jairus' house. Why would he do anything for me? Now, theologically, she wasn't very well read. In fact, it appears that there was quite a bit of superstition within her. If only I can touch the hem of his garment. She wasn't the greatest Bible scholar, 
but her faith was well placed. She placed her faith in God. You understand this about faith. First of all, all of us live with a great deal of faith all the time. Faith is a part of virtually every aspect of life. We're always placing our trust in other people. But your faith is only as good as the person or thing in which you place it. Your faith is only as strong, it's only as good as what you place it in. Tonight's the Super Bowl. How many of you are rooting for the Falcons? Okay, you can put your hands down. How many are rooting for the Patriots? Got it? You know, last service, the only fans for the Patriots were on the back row, right where you're sitting. So that's the Patriot row, row right back there, okay? So I think it's just everybody's kind of tired of the Patriots always winning it. So it's kind of deflating when they win, you know. But uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. So how many of you are rooting for good commercials tonight? Yeah. All right. Well, if you ever get emotionally involved in a football game, you start placing your faith in those players. You start yelling at the TV screen, calling them by their first name. Come on, Dak, what's wrong with you? You know, yelling at the referees. And you're placing your faith in those players that you don't know that you really don't have any control over. And because of that, half the people watch it. Well, I guess less than half. Well, whoever loses, there'll be a lot of people disappointed tonight. Because the team that they put their faith in didn't win. And all through life, we find ourselves disappointed because we put our faith in finite people, empty things that aren't really capable of carrying our trust. But this woman's faith, though immature in its development, was placed in Jesus. She placed her faith in the Alpha and Omega, the one who has always been and the one who always will be. She placed her faith in the one person capable of really doing something about it. And Jesus honored it. She was healed. Well, at this point in the story, the music is reaching a crescendo. And then it all kind of comes to a screech because Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? When they all denied it, I didn't touch you, Jesus. (laughs) Who touched the Lord? Well, then Peter steps up and he says, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. In other words, translation, Peter says, Jesus, everybody's touching you, okay? You know, why why are you worried about somebody touching you here? Jesus says, someone did touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, here's this woman in the crowd. And the Bible says, when the woman saw that she was discovered, She came trembling and fell down before him. Can you imagine the scene? In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly cured. Now, this is a personal health issue. And this woman is now brought out into public, and she's trembling, and she declares the reason why she had touched him, and she also declares her healing. And so Jesus looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now I have a question here. Was Jesus being mean? Was Jesus being mean to this woman? She had demonstrated great faith in Jesus. Why didn't Jesus just let her blend into the crowd and let her go on 
with her life. In our, in our society today, uh, we tend to admire people who have a strong private faith. You'll hear this uh, in the news and various things. This person is a man of great strength, a great private faith that sustains him or sustains her during times of difficulty. Contrastingly, our society tends to view public faith as fake, weak, or even hateful. And because of this, within the culture that we live in, there is a temptation to become very quiet, very personal, and very silent in your faith. I just want to have a private, personal faith. But I want you to realize that Jesus called people to public faith. And real faith displays itself in real life. And so I want to encourage you to be wise, be wise about it, but don't be quiet. Be strong, but don't be isolated. Faith is meant to be shared. We live in a dark world. It is full of evil. And yet within us, there is the light of the world. The light of the world being Jesus Christ. And Jesus has told us that the light is not meant to be hidden under a bushel or hidden underneath the bed, but the light is meant to be put up on the lampstand so that it might shine brightly into the darkness. And whenever faith is shared, it encourages people, it draws people to the cross. People need to see examples of authentic Christianity being lived out. Now, just an aside here. Believer's baptism is an opportunity for you to go public in your faith. When a person is baptized, they stand before the church and they declare, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I am publicly stating my faith. You say, why do I need to stand up in front of the church to publicly state my faith? The church is the one that's going to have to put up with you, okay? I'm kidding on that a little bit. But the church walks the journey of faith with you. We have what we call koinonia, relationships, friendships with each other, and we go through this journey of life together. So when a person embraces Christ as Savior and Lord, they're baptized, and it's a public declaration of your faith in Christ. You become a part of this church. The church encourages you on because together you're walking through this journey this journey of faith. We've been blessed around here over the last several weeks to have several adults coming to faith in Christ. Several have been baptized. And I think there's others within our crowd that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but yet you still might be in the crowd. And I want to encourage you to take that next step and go public with your faith. If you've been saved but you haven't yet been baptized, Come talk to me about it. I'll I'll help you work through questions that you might have about baptism, and and we can baptize you. And whenever you're baptized, you join in with 2,000 years of Christian heritage of people publicly proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ by identifying with His death, His burial, and His resurrection. 
Now, can you imagine at this point how encouraged Jairus must have felt? Jesus is on the way to his house to minister to his daughter. And on the way, he ministers to this woman and she is healed. Jairus must have thought, uh, certainly my daughter is going to be okay. But then, while he was still speaking, verse 49, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jairus left his home, there was still a glimmer of hope. But now the situation was beyond hope. Uh, Sometimes we think that faith is only good when there's earthly hope. But true faith continues to believe when our hope turns heavenly. This young lady was now gone. But Jairus' faith was not misplaced. So when Jesus heard it in verse 50, he answered him, Don't be afraid, only, what's the word? Believe, and she will be made well. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. And everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, Stop crying, for she is not dead, but asleep. Now if... In ancient times, there had been a Jerusalem University. And you were to enroll at Jerusalem University and pick your major. One of the majors that you could have picked was mourning. There was literally a profession called mourning. And when someone would pass away, the professional mourners would show up. They would be very emotional and very expressive and they would weep and they would wail and they would hug the family and comfort them. You also would prepare the body if you were going to engage in burial. You would bury the person that very day. And so the mourners would go through that entire process with you. It was loud, it was bold, it was public. And then once they had the person buried, they would charge you and they would go on to the next person. So Jesus shows up at the house and all this is going on. And he says, stop it. She's not dead. Now, how do you think they responded to the Son of God? You see, when the Son of God shows up in your living room, it's kind of a big deal. But instead, they laughed at him. Now, notice the reason why they laughed at him. Because they knew she was dead. She she wasn't faking here. They knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, Child, get up. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. He said, Now, what's going on here, Lash? Now, this is a miracle. Jesus goes in, and he restores life to this child. He says, Get up. (laughs) I love the next section here. And then he orders that she be given something to eat. Jesus would have made a good Texan, right? Get this child something to eat, okay? She needs some food. And her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now, why does Jesus say don't tell anybody at this point? Because Jesus wanted people to trust in him and not just trust in his miracles. And so when he did miracles, he often told people, keep this quiet. So we have in this story two people. One man... One woman. The woman had spent 12 years in misery. And she had reached a point where there were 
no earthly solutions. Beyond hope, she reached out to Jesus and she found a new beginning. The man had spent 12 years with his beautiful daughter. But now he was at a point where there were no earthly solutions. Beyond hope, he reached out in faith to Jesus and he found a new beginning. What does God want from me? God, what do you want from me? God, why are you bringing all this into my life? God, what do you want from me? I have a big Bible. I go to church and life group, have KLTY on my radio, and a fish on my truck. What do you want from me, God? God wants you to believe in Him. God wants you to place your faith in Him. You say, well, Lash, what if I die? That's, that's just the beginning of the Christian life. If you're going to rejoice in hope, as Romans 12, 12 tells us, you have to have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And for you to truly be unlocked to be the person spiritually that God has called you to be, you have to begin to understand that life goes beyond what we can see, touch, hear, and feel. Believing means I place the totality of my faith in God. And whenever I do that, there is a freeing mechanism that takes place within our soul because we are free to trust in His faithfulness, to trust in His Word, to trust in His love, even whenever we can't see the outcomes. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the faith chapter. It begins with this verse, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Read the rest of the chapter sometime this week, and you'll see the stories of men and women just like you and me. They were men and women that had good times and bad times. They were men and women that sometimes really did well, and sometimes they did the wrong thing. But the Bible recognizes them, points them out, and points them out for one reason. Each of them lived their life with faith. And the Scriptures tell us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. What does God want from me? How can I please God? God says, believe in me. Trust is a must. Whenever you face the unknowns of life, place your faith in what you know about God. And remember this, he he loves you. And he's got this. Your situation doesn't overwhelm him. It doesn't surprise him. He's not up there going, I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm sorry. You can trust him. God does not call you to understand everything, but He does call you to trust Him in everything. And so the great question for us to wrestle with today is, are you? Are you trusting Him with everything? The totality of you? You giving Him 50% and holding back 50%? I'll I'll keep this part, God. This, This belongs to you. God says, trust me. Trust me. Place your faith in me. This pleases me. I love you. I've known you before you were ever born. I'll take you through. Just place your faith in me.
Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come, lead us in worship. You may be here today, and there's never been that time in your life where you've taken that first step of faith and trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's where you are, I, I want to encourage you to come and see me. You can come and see me during this next song. I'll be here after service as well, and I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a believer in Christ. If for whatever reason you can't find me, then find a life group leader. Find someone that's greeting at the door and ask them to help you know what it means to be a believer in Christ. I also realize this, that within this room, there's a lot of stories. You're wrestling with a lot of stuff. Stuff that you can't fake. Stuff that's real. And my question for you today is, are you trusting? Are you trusting God in your marriage? Are you trusting God in your job, with your finances? As you seek to raise those children, are you trusting in God? I realize there are a lot of unknowns. God says, trust me. I'll see you through. And so I want to encourage you right now. To yield your heart to God. To bow before Him. Perhaps even in your mind you need to take that matter and visualize it and visualize yourself giving that to God right now. Say, Lord, I'm going to be a person of faith. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this church, for the love that we have. Lord, I enjoy walking through life with these people. Thank you, Father, for the genuine spirit that was with, is within this body. I know, Lord, that there are matters that make us cry inside and out. And, Father, I pray that we might be people of faith that trust you in everything and believe in you to be the one that will see us through all things. Father, even whenever we reach that final chapter of earthly life and we cross over, we know that our faith is eternal that's in you. And so, Lord, we rejoice in that hope as well. I pray for the troubled heart today that it might be comforted. I pray for that one that is lonely, that they might experience love. I pray for that one that is spiritually lost, that they might experience salvation. Father, we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. We go through this journey together looking to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and worship. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing to our Lord.